Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thank you, everybody, for being here for another edition of Political Rewind. We continue with what will be two weeks of coverage of the national political conventions. Of course, this week, it's the Democrats we're paying our attention to. Next week, we will give time to the Republican convention as well. Uh, it's an important day in American history. Uh, this is the day in uh, 1920, August 18, 1920, that Tennessee became the 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which gave women, of course, uh, finally, at long last, uh, the right to vote. And, and of course, that's an interesting and important element to, particularly this week, the Democrats who are reaching out in a very uh, strong way to attract women voters uh, to uh, Joe Biden's campaign. So we're going to talk about what happened at the convention last night. We'll talk about what's coming up tonight. And we have a great panel to do that. Tia Mitchell, the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here with us. Tia, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're reporting on the convention for the AJC, and we'll talk about that in a little while. Sam Olins sure. is with us, the former Republican Attorney General of the state of Georgia. Before that, he was a longtime chairman of the Cobb County uh, Commission, one of the most respected uh, commissioner, commission chairs, I think, in the state. Sam, we're glad to have you with us. And finally, we have Democratic State Representative Bob Trammell, who is the minority leader in the state house. And Bob, I don't think I'd be surprising you when we say you are one of the biggest targets uh, down there in Luthersville that Republicans have. They are working as hard as they can to run you out of office. So I'm really appreciative you took a little while from the campaign to be with us today, uh, Bob. And we'll get to the panel in just a minute and include, we'll get to the panel in just a minute and include them in this next conversation because I'm very pleased to welcome uh, to the show today, former Virginia governor, former chairman of the Democratic National Committee, former former chair of the Bill Clinton reelection campaign of the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, um, Terry McAuliffe. Governor McAuliffe, it's a real pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Governor McAuliffe, I, I do, though, before I ask you a question, want to say that you have very, we know how impressive your credentials are. But I think for our listeners across the state of Georgia, there's an additional credential they'll be especially interested in. When you were, and you'll tell me if I've got this right, when you were 23 years old, you left Georgetown Law to become the finance chair for Jimmy Carter's 1980 re-election campaign. And as if that isn't enough, I think I'm right that at one point in your fundraising uh, efforts, you uh, met a challenge in Florida to wrestle an alligator in return for a $15,000 donation to the Carter campaign. That just showed us early on what your fundraising prowess was going to develop into. Is that story right, Governor? Uh, that is 100% right. I spent three minutes in a pit with Jumper, and I got $15,000 for the Carter-Mondale re-election committee. I'll do anything once. <laughs> but I All did right. go back to um, law school, finally st- graduated. But, you know, uh, yeah, I've been doing this you know, a long time. I've had every job you can have in the Democratic Party. I've been pretty much a full-time volunteer. I've done it all for free. I started my first business when I was 14 because I was going to have to pay for college and, you know, got lucky in business and so forth. And I just, for me, giving back through politics is the way to help move the country forward. Yeah, I think when you were 14, the business was like repaving driveways, something like that. Where, how did you ever come up with that idea at 14 years old? Well, I, I knew I had to pay for college. I was coming home one day from caddying golf bags and I said, i got to start my own business. I'm a failure. I'm 14 years old. And I'd been carrying bags up and down hills and only made $8. I saw a guy sealing his driveway. I said, I can do that. I went home. I typed up a letter. Got 10 jobs my first day. The next year, I went out and bought a big, got a big dairy truck. 
and made it my truck. I did not have a driver's license, but I was an entrepreneur. And I was in business and started doing parking lots and, you know, went on in a variety. I was the youngest bank chairman in American history. I owned building companies, apartments. You know, I've been an entrepreneur. I've had that spirit. I've never worked for anyone in my life. I sort of like it that way. Well, thank you for giving our listeners a little of your really sure. fascinating background. Let's talk con- convention here, and then I do want to invite the panel to join us as we talk. Um, last night, Democrats did a pretty good job, I think it's fair to say, of trying to show the unity that uh, yep. uh, is going to propel them forward to the election of Joe Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders. We're going to hear a little bit of his speech uh, later in the show um, we had uh, Republicans, including, of course, John Kasich, who said they will vote for him. You had the more progressive wings of the party, the more moderate wings of the party, all trying to uh, show that they'll support Biden. That said, you did have to contend with uh, the fact that, uh, that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sent out a tweet at some point late yesterday about John Kasich uh, saying good for him for supporting Biden. I'm not quoting it directly, but uh, we shouldn't be giving a platform to somebody who opposes women's rights, meaning that he is uh, anti-abortion. Uh, um, and and you're going to the Democrats are going to have to contend with the uh, most progressive elements of the party moving forward. And although there's a side show of unity right now, how how concerned are you? that this could come unraveled to some extent as the campaign moves forward? Well, let me say, first of all, I thought it was a very excellent night last night. My hat's off to the folks who put it together. I can tell you this is someone who actually ran the 2000 convention and the 2004 convention. Running national party conventions are not an easy thing to do, and to do it all virtually was something. So hats off that it went off without any technology glitches and so forth. But... Listen, last night's goal was to show the broad coalition uh, of the party and who Joe Biden is. I've said for a year, I'm on CNN all the time, and I say I wanted a nominee who can build the biggest, broadest coalition. And showing last night Bernie Sanders speaking with John Kasich, and I will say this, I know John Kasich very well. I will say this, John Kasich is a friend of mine. Uh, I was chairman of the Governor's Association. I dealt with all America's governors. And Governors are different. I mean, we have to produce every day. We got to create jobs. We got to balance budgets. You know, we don't have the partisan rancor. We got to deliver every single day. And you know, to show John Kasich up there speaking at the same time as Bernie Sanders to me shows who we are in the broad coalition. Last night was about talking about COVID-19, the economic crisis, and the racial injustice we have in the country. And I think they highlighted that. The most important for me was the young woman who talked about her father who had died, and she said the only pre-existing condition he had was supporting Donald Trump because he went out totally healthy at 65 years old and contracted COVID and died. Uh, to me, that was so powerful. Then, of course, Michelle Obama, and I, you know, I've known Michelle forever. She's campaigned for me when I was running for governor. I mean, that was as tough uh, as I have ever seen her. But she talked about character, empathy, but you raise the issue about, you know, people, part of our party, that's who we are, and you're going to have people. I come from a place, I want a broad coalition. I want as many people under that tent working together. As governor, I had a very Republican legislature. I had to work with them. Compromise is something you have to do in order to get things done. And if John Kasich and all the other Republicans want to support Joe Biden, I welcome them into our party at least to help us win, beat Donald Trump, and get Joe Biden elected president. Yeah, I think that um, they almost drove that point home last night that they don't agree. You know, Bernie Sanders said, you know, I don't agree with Joe Biden on everything, but I'm still here to say he is who we should have as president. Because as we know, we've known for months that for Democrats and some Republicans, their priority is replacing Donald Trump. And quite frankly, Democrats have been, there will be disagreement if Biden becomes president. He will get pressure from both the left and the right. And that is something that, for example, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has had to navigate those waters within the House Democratic caucus. So it's not 
going to be anything new, but I don't think we should expect it to be smooth sailing for Joe Biden if he were to become president. But, Governor, those you've got to get those who are the most progressive uh, Democrats in the party going to the polls and voting. It may not be so much whether the party leadership, the elected officials come together. It's can you get those who wanted Bernie Sanders and wanted that most progressive element of the party to prevail? Can you get them to turn out to vote, Governor? And today they say yes. And if you look at the polling data, you're not always going to get everybody. But you got to remember you know, in 2008, Hillary Clinton did not get out of the race till June of 2008. Bernie Sanders did not get out until July of 2016. Joe Biden had this nomination wrapped up in early April, and you had Bernie Sanders, you had Elizabeth Warren, all of them universally came out early, supported Joe Biden, they've done events. I mean, we are more organized, more unified than we've been. Earliest nomination probably since 2004. You're not going to get everybody to agree, but... Look what happened in 16. You all remember the convention. That was pretty ugly at points where at times when people were booing, in fact, Michelle Obama, if you remember when she was speaking, there were people in the crowd. And Mr. Khan, we don't have that this year. And my point always is, is, you know, you got to govern and you don't always get everything you want. I think that was a point that came out last night. And let's move that ball forward. And I think people are the point that Joe Biden can work with people. He can get things done. And that really was Michelle Obama's point. He's got the character, the empathy, but he also can work with people to move this country forward and deal with all of the, you know, the crisis of COVID and the economic crisis and everything we have today in the country. And I'd say finally that moment of silence Tremble, you the wanted... family was powerful. I apologize yeah. for interrupting. Bob Tremble, you want to weigh in? Yeah, Governor, thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, I wonder yeah. if you could talk to us a little bit about your perspective on uh, the the uh, presidential map and where Georgia fits. We're excited to have uh, several Georgians uh, today speaking, Stacey Abrams, Sally Yates, and my colleague from the legislature, uh, Representative Sam Park, and, and Mayor Bottoms speaking on Thursday. Can you tell us uh, what your perspective is on, on Georgia and the presidential yeah, people are very excited about Georgia. As you know, the keys, probably six battle early key battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, and Arizona. The next tier out probably, in fact, Virginia, which used to be red when I was ran for governor. Republicans controlled everything. Uh, I swept in the statewide ticket, and now we control everything. I think Georgia and Virginia, Ohio, and other states are all – you know, I think we're blue. I think Georgia and North Carolina are two southern states that have an opportunity. What I love about North Carolina and Georgia, both states, we can pick up a U.S. Senate seat. And I think there's just a lot of interest in Georgia. So the resources will be put there. I think North Carolina, Georgia, Florida are sort of the key central southern battleground states that we've got to look at. And the resources will be put. For years, we've heard we can win Georgia, you know. It has broken my heart every four years, but every year I think we inch a little bit closer, and I'm just hoping this is our year that we can finally pop the bottle, you know, celebrate with a bottle of beer. Sam Olins, jump in. So I certainly agree that it's hard work to put on a virtual convention, um, and I think the first couple mi- couple minutes last night was done very well, uh, but I think after that it became a snoozer. Um, and, and candidly, I don't mean that in a partisan way, because I think people are going to find next week is a snoozer, too. Uh, without a live audience, without people cheering, without the party atmosphere of a convention, I don't think there's going to be an uptick for Democrats this week. I don't think there will be an uptick for Republicans next week. Uh, you know, I think that the pandemic has an effect on what a convention can do. Clearly, the highlight of the night was Michelle Obama. I thought Bernie just didn't have the same passion that you often see in a, in a speech. Uh, I thought the governor of Michigan was way too nervous. Um, it's a good thing she wasn't chosen to be the VP nominee if that's the way she's going to deal with nervousness. But I, but I agree with the governor. This is a very hard task for these folks to put together the next four nights. And I find it hard to think that uh, many people are going to be watching this. Governor, as someone who has run conventions in the past. I think he makes some very valid points. I'm concerned about the same. 
because when you watch it on national television in person, you've got the people on the floor, you see the hats, you see all the action going on. And, you know, that keeps it going. And I think it, it for both parties, I agree with Sam, both parties, Democrat, Republican, this is the challenge to keep people's interest up, you know, to make sure they're watching the important messaging coming out of the speeches. But, you know, in the COVID crisis, the only thing I'd say on the other side is that people are home now. They're paying more attention now because of the COVID crisis. And, you know, maybe they're willing to sit and watch longer because, you know, with the COVID crisis, this is something they've been used to doing. Governor, I know you have a, a busy schedule today, and so I, I do want to honor that. But I do want to ask you one final question that sure. uh, takes us away from the convention for just a couple of minutes. Um, and it's a story that I think people in Georgia will be interested in if they haven't heard it yet. Um, yesterday, the police in Portsmouth, Virginia, or actually Richmond, uh, arrested a number of people who were involved in a protest of a Confederate monument in the city of Richmond. One of them was the Senate pro tem Louise Lucas, at first African-American Senate pro tem in Virginia. Uh, she is a big, uh, you have a very close relationship with her. And there's been a certain amount of outrage expressed about the fact that she was arrested in what started out as a peaceful uh, protest of the statue Later on, after she had left, it, apparently there was some violence, but you all, I think, you've already spoken out about it and believe this is a highly political move uh, by a Republican uh, police chief. Yes? Uh, I can't understand what happened yesterday. It actually was all in Portsmouth. So in Portsmouth, Virginia, um, around a statue, Louise Lucas, who is the most prominent African-American elected official in the Commonwealth of Virginia, Senate pro temp, first time ever, she went down where they were gathering. She was there at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. She left. 9 o'clock that night, they took down one of the statues, and they have charged her with two felonies. Today we start special session on dealing with the budget and criminal justice reform. The idea that this chief of police would do this the night before we go into session is beyond outrageous, outrageous, disgraceful. They waited to do this. This is a political uh, stunt, and it's got to be stopped. And it just—and she's a very good friend of mine. She's actually treasurer of my pack. She is a dynamic, flamboyant fighter for good causes. And they literally put out yesterday an arrest warrant on two felonies for her. She's in Richmond. She was not in Portsmouth. She goes into session today. So none of them have actually been arrested, but the bench warrants have gone out. And, you know, this kind of behavior's uh, got to be stopped. And we're doing this before we're talking about criminal justice reform today in Virginia. Really? Thank you for clarifying that they, the arrests haven't been made. One, one, one reason I brought it up, in addition to the fact we're wrestling with Confederate memorials here, of course, is your quote was, her opposition to a racist monument is the definition of what John Lewis called good trouble. So uh, Governor McAuliffe uh, quoting one of Georgia's great heroes, uh, John Lewis, in hey, let me all just of say that. This. We're going to watch I, that I just, story unfold. Yeah, we got to watch it. I just wrote a Go book ahead. Uh, last year called uh, uh, Beyond Charlottesville, Fighting White Nationalism. And John Lewis, who I love dearly, wrote the foreword for me. So I want to thank everybody in Georgia for John Lewis and his contribution to America. He iconic. He is going to be so greatly missed. But I do want to thank all the listeners in Georgia for thank you for sharing John Lewis with all of us. Governor Terry McAuliffe, thank you so much for spending thank time you. with thank us uh, today. Have a great convention, Governor. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's go. Three more days. Why don't we do this? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get a break out of the way and come back and talk with Tia Mitchell, Sam Olins, and Bob Trammell about the Democratic National Convention. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
Tia Mitchell, Washington correspondent for the AJC. We've already talked briefly about Bernie Sanders' speech last night, but here's one of the things that I thought was interesting. Of course, Sanders was there to, to essentially say, uh, yeah, I'm a progressive. I have ideas for Medicare for all. I have other ideas that used to be outliers in the Democratic Party but are increasingly becoming uh, part of mainstream dialogue. Here's what I thought was interesting to you uh, before we listen to his sound. He used the word movement twice in his speech last night. The first time he talked about the movement that all Democrats are now engaged in to elect Joe Biden president. But of course, um, he's always used that to talk about the progressives who have followed him uh, in terms of his most liberal ideas. And I did think the use of the word movement in both cases was fascinating, didn't you? Yeah, I think that Bernie Sanders, you know, he was second place to Joe Biden. He was the only one of all the other, you know, candidates who was giving Joe Biden a run for his money that actually had a chance, you know. And so Bernie Sanders signaling to progressive Democrats that we need to get on board, get on one accord, support Joe Biden is a very important message because as, you know, Governor McAuliffe noted, you know, in 2016, the progressives threatened to kind of like blow up the convention. You know, they weren't happy and they were vocal about it. And what Bernie Sanders is in, and I believe that, you know, it'd be interesting to see what um, Senator Ocasio-Cortez says tonight when she speaks and Elizabeth Warren will be speaking later in the week because these are people who are considered leaders of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And what and they're not just saying don't oppose Joe Biden, don't blow up the, the nomination. They're also saying make sure you vote in November because we already know that voter apathy from Democrats was a problem for Hillary Clinton. Let's listen to just a little bit of the Bernie Sanders speech and then come back and ask uh, Bob Trammell and Sam Olins what they thought of it. Here we go. Our campaign ended several months ago, but our movement continues and is getting stronger every day. Many of the ideas we fought for that just a few years ago were considered radical are now mainstream. But let us be clear, if Donald Trump is reelected, all the progress we have made will be in jeopardy. At its most basic, this election is about preserving our democracy. Bob Trammell, when Georgia voters see Bernie Sanders up there uh, speaking, uh, do you think that they're discouraged about voting for a Democratic presidential candidate? Is the Bernie Sanders wing of the party off-putting to people who might be undecided right now who are, if they're not Democrats, they're, they're, some, they're conservative independents? What is the impact here in Georgia? Well, you know, I think Senator Sanders, uh, what he what he did uh, at the convention last night was uh, outline the stakes uh, of what's um, of the presidential election and the consequences that would would follow uh, from another four years of, of the Trump presidency. Um, you know, I, I think you um, you have Governor Kasich who talked to uh, talked to Republicans. Uh, outlining similar things, that uh, the consequences of another four years of a Trump presidency means um, the, the country uh, as, we, as we know it and we love it, um, you know, might, might never recover. So um, I don't think Senator Sanders, um, you, you know, what he had to say um, was very encouraged uh, by what he said. I think it will uh, make a difference to uh, Sanders supporters. You know, the thing that you sometimes hear is there's there's not a dime's worth of difference between the candidates. Uh, and that's clearly not the case here. I mean, there couldn't couldn't be a clearer contrast between the Trump Pence ticket and the Biden Harris ticket. Uh, and so I think uh, Sanders did a good job talking to supporters uh, who in 16, um, you know, might have sat out or might have even voted for Trump. Sam Olins. Um... Sam Burmis-Dawes points out to me that Bernie Sanders did have a base of support here in Georgia, but it certainly wasn't going to be enough to win him the state in a primary contest had, had we really been part of the battle for the Democratic nomination, Sam. 
Yeah, if the twenty-five, if the twenty-one to twenty-five-year-olds uh, uh, are responsible for an election, Bernie would have been in good shape. Um, you know, he just didn't have the enthusiasm. Uh, if I were Joe Biden, I'd be thrilled uh, by his comments yesterday. Uh, I think he did a good job for the vice president. Um, as I look at tonight, I'd be nervous about AOC because no one's demonstrated you can control her. Uh, consistent with the tweet you referenced, uh, Bill. So, I, you know, I think tonight the nervousness is frankly going to be, uh, and I'm not sure that you could tell her what to say, um, or I don't think you can tell her what to say. So I think AOC is the, the problem as compared to the much more mature Bernie Sanders. I think what could end up being the real gain of the evening is Jill Biden. Uh, I don't know if anyone who doesn't respect her, anyone who doesn't think she's very bright, and following last night's speech with Michelle Obama, it would not surprise me if tomorrow morning everyone is talking about Jill's speech. Tia, uh, uh, Sam Olins makes a good point. AOC is, uh, she's going to say what she wants to say. On the other hand, uh, she's been given one minute, Tia. So what can she do in a minute? Uh, she's already been, I guess, complaining. She's tried to do it in a somewhat lighthearted way, maybe. But uh, she doesn't have a lot of time to talk tonight, Dia. Yeah, and I do. Uh, AOC is her own person. As you know, watching her from my vantage point in Washington, I will see say she's a very powerful orator. And I also feel like it's a little bit, you know, of because of the media focus on her, and quite frankly, Republican focus on her. She's been characterized as this feisty, saucy Latina that doesn't really fit what you see when you actually listen to her speak. You know, she's not bombastic and uncontrollable. She usually stays pretty on message, but but she stays true to her core. So do I think she's going to get up there and, you know, kiss up to Joe Biden? No. But do I think she's going to use her 60 seconds to blow it up? That's not necessarily where she's gone thus far in her career either. All right. Um, uh, we can talk a little bit more about tonight in a couple minutes. I, I do want to play a couple more excerpts from last night as we move forward. Uh, we've talked about John Kasich, uh, who became a Republican speaker, one of, I think, a total of five Republicans who all said they would support uh, Joe Biden, the other four uh, women. Um, so let's listen to a little bit of John Kasich talking about why he's decided He's going to support Joe Biden cross the aisle to do it. We can all see what's going on in our country today and all the questions that are facing us. And no one person or party has all the answers. But what we do know is that we can do better than what we've been seeing today for sure. And I know that Joe Biden, with his experience and his wisdom and his decency, can bring us together to help us find that better way. I'm sure there are Republicans and independents who couldn't imagine crossing over to support a Democrat. They fear Joe may turn sharp left and leave them behind. I don't believe that because I know the measure of the man. It's reasonable, faithful, respectful. And you know, no one pushes Joe around. Sam Olins, the question it seems to me we always, as we watch conventions, need to ask is who are these speakers talking to? What voters do they think they're reaching? So, Sam, who is Kasich talking to in those remarks? He's talking to independents. He's talking to moderate Republicans. You know, John Kasich um, has a very large ego, um, and I think that often hurts him. Uh, when he was running for president for a few months, he came to a barbecue in Walton County. He refused to spend any time learning the issues that were most important to Georgians because he knew all the answers already. And the first question that was asked of him accounted for him having no support in the crowd because he hadn't learned yet that you're actually supposed to know who you're talking to. I think last night he knew who he was talking to, 
And I think he did a good job for Joe with those independents and moderates. So he, he accomplished what uh, the vice president wanted him to do, but very few people are going to change a vote due to, uh, sent, due to uh, Kasich. You know, uh, Bill, that I think what the audience that Kasich was reaching uh, was voters who used to identify themselves as Republicans um, and just aren't comfortable anymore uh, calling themselves Republicans or they're just not comfortable with the Republican Party as it exists today de facto under President Trump. And uh, when, when I heard Governor Kasich, um, you know, what I heard was the comments I often hear from, uh, from Republicans who, who tell me, um, you know, we, we just can't do this anymore. And um, so I think that um, it, was, uh, it, it was reinforcing the permission uh, that these voters, what they're already feeling uh, and giving them the, the permission slip to say, um, you know, you're no less, uh, you haven't changed, but uh, the party has changed and we need to support Joe Biden uh, because it's important country over party. Tia, uh, the president tweeted uh, less than an hour ago, John Kasich did a bad job in Ohio, ran for president, was easy to beat, and now went to the other side, desperate for relevance. Uh, So uh, the president's been tweeting this morning about any number of people on the program last night, but special scorn for Kasich, uh, Tia. Yeah, and I think it shows, you know, the president, for better or for worse, his Twitter account is is a direct line into his mind, what he's thinking about, what has angered him or concerned him at any given time. So he's been tweeting about Michelle Obama and now tweeting about uh, Governor Kasich, and that shows you which parts of last night's event kind of, you know, jabbed at him the most. I think it is interesting that the, the one speech that has really impacted people, which is the speech of the, the young lady whose father was a Trump supporter who died of COVID-19, so far Trump has not reacted to that one. Uh, you know, it might happen, but that was arguably the most impactful speech of the night, according to people who watched it. And so it's interesting to see he hasn't found a way to to try to critique that particular speech that 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 meant so much to so many people. And the line that uh, has the greatest resonance, probably for I think maybe Republicans as well as Democrats, was uh, when she said uh, my father's only pre-existing condition was that he trusted Donald Trump. Um, Sam, uh, I was uh, interested. I did a lot of flipping around last night. Uh, among the different cable channels, because I think it's important to hear how everybody's portraying the convention. Clearly, CNN and MSNBC, to some extent, on the same uh, side of the ledger. Uh, but I watched Fox for a while, and and Sam, the folks at Fox were very, very blown away by Michelle Obama. Let's listen to just a little bit of her speech, and then I want you to comment on it, Sam. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. 
if we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. Sam, your thoughts. You know, when she was um, in that part of the speech, it reminded me of Mayor Bottoms when uh, they went from peaceful protest to damage uh, near the Wendy's, and she spoke as an African-American mother. Uh, I thought it came across very well. I thought it came across very sincere. And while Tia mentioned that the president hadn't gone after the, the daughter, the one that I'd be most concerned about the president going after today is Michelle Obama. Because I, I think people heard the sincerity in her voice. And I think last night proved that she is still someone who has enormous influence in our political discussion, even if she personally doesn't like politics. Bob Trammell. Yeah, Michelle Obama's speech last night was uh, just brilliant on so many levels. But I, I think that what made her speech so effective is that it was everything that Trump is not. She was calm, collected, cogent, compassionate. And she reminded us so much of what we're missing uh, as a country uh, in the White House now. Um, and I think that she, um, she spoke truth. Uh, not just in the words that she said, uh, but in the deep care and love that she has for this country that so many Americans have. Uh, her words resonated in a way uh, with with many, many people in the audience. Uh, and it is just a powerful, powerful speech that she gave. Uh, it'll be hard to match, frankly. Again, Tia, I put this through the filter of, uh, I, I think, again, Republicans and Democrats praised the speech. Sam Olin's just did. Uh, who gets to, to whom is she speaking where she thinks she'll have the most impact in that message to you? I think Michelle Obama. So the Obamas remain extremely popular, right? Um, but four years ago, even with the Obamas speaking at the convention and thumping for Hillary Clinton, it was not enough. Too many Democrats stayed home four years ago. That is who she was speaking to. She talked about, you know, register to vote. Request your absentee ballot tonight. If you vote in person, pack your snacks. Be prepared if it's a long line. You know, she is trying to lay the groundwork for people to tell people, no matter what, we need you to show up for the general election. Your life depends on it. You know, she made that, she's trying to make the case to voters who could possibly be apathetic. Again, we've talked about how younger voters generally were not big on Joe Biden compared to some of the more aggressive, more progressive candidates. Um, and, and quite frankly, there are some progressives who still aren't big on the ticket, even with Kamala Harris. And so what Michelle Obama is saying is we are you know, according to her, four more years of Donald Trump is su such a concern that do everything you can to make sure it doesn't happen. All right, we've got to take another break. When we come back, I want to preview tonight's uh, speakers, uh, which include some uh, very prominent Georgians. Before I do, Sam Olins, uh, here's the one tweet that Donald Trump put out so far about Michelle Obama, and it's a rather gentle one for, for Donald Trump. Somebody please explain to Michelle Obama that Donald J. Trump would not be here in the beautiful White House if it weren't for the job done by your husband, Barack Obama. Biden was merely an afterthought, a good reason for that very late and unenthusiastic endorsement. I guess he's speaking at that point about uh, the uh, Barack Obama endorsement of Joe Biden, who stayed out of it until late in the campaign. All right, let's take our break and come back and talk about the Georgians we're going to be watching tonight. Before I uh, run out of time to do this, I want to thank Jesse Neiswanger, who is our engineer and a composer. We asked him if he would come up with some music 
for our special editions of Political Rewind during the conventions. You've heard what he uh, found, what he created, and uh, I really appreciate it. I think it it really works very well, Jesse. So thank you for your efforts. Sam Olins, uh, because you are a former attorney general, because you worked with Sally Yates on any number of occasions when she was U.S. attorney uh, here, um, she'll be speaking tonight, of course. And as acting attorney general, she uh, obviously ran into terrible problems with uh, the Trump administration, was fired from the job just a little more than a week ago. She was called to testify in front of uh, Lindsey Graham's Senate Judiciary Committee, where she mixed it up with the Republicans on the committee who are investigating uh, whether or not the Justice Department in some way rigged their investigation of Michael Flynn, among others. Um, Speak to us about the impact you imagine a Sally Yates can have in her remarks and um, how you think they'll resonate with voters out there, Sam. So I have a lot of respect for Sally Yates. I worked with her when she was the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. I actually had the occasion to work with her when she was the DAG, the deputy attorney general, uh, several times in D.C., so uh, I, I think she's an outstanding public servant, and I think she's as bright as they come. Having said that, um, I don't think she adds to the discussion. I think the only person that, frankly, adds to the discussion tonight is Jill Biden. So as we're looking at a lackluster event because it's virtual, uh, I, I think as it relates to tonight's performance, the, the only one who really counts and potentially moving the ball is uh, the vice president's wife. You know, Bob, I'm interested in what Sam says, because it does seem to me that although Sally Yates is important to some extent to Democrats to make the point that that the Trump administration has uh, launched an all out attack on the Justice Department over the four years that they've been in power. uh, At the same time, there she'll be a big fat target. In, in her remarks tonight for Republicans, uh, should they choose to uh, use her words against her uh, in further hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee or next week in their uh, convention? So I wonder if Sam Olin's Bob isn't making a, a good point here. Well, I mean, I, I respectfully disagree with that, whether it's an attack on the Constitution, an attack on the Justice Department, an attack on the United States Post Office. Um you know, this is uh, this is an administration that um, has had an all-out assault on institutions that we previously would never have imagined would come under attack. And Sally Yates was one of the first uh, first people to stand up uh, against the administration, uh, and I think that uh, her her role in the convention uh, speaking uh, reminds us uh, of just uh, how crazy these times are. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the 40th president of the United States, um, a GOP stalwart, had a pretty good test. You know, are we better off than we were four years ago? Uh, and the answer to that is no. Um, and the other thing I want to say about the tone of the convention, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the rah-rah that a normal convention does. It is a more sober uh, tone. But that's a consequence that we are living with as a reality of the failure and incompetence of this administration. And so I think it is uh, a very effective reminder to Americans that we literally can't survive another four years. Tia, weigh in on that. Yeah, and I think, I wonder, you know, we knew that John Kasich was going to speak, and then Monday morning they rolled out additional Republicans that were, you know, kind of preceding his, speech. So I wonder even for Sally Yates, if she's not going to be the main speaker, but they might roll out additional former Trump officials to kind of have that block that drives home the point of like, you know, the Trump administration, you know, has been in chaos and had a lot of overturn or whatever message they're trying to drive home. I wonder if she's just one person of several that they may use tonight to drive home the message. Um, But even if it is just her, that's the point, right? Like different speakers are serving different roles, and Sally Yates appears that her role is not so much, you know, 
representing the soul of the Democratic Party as much as she represents what Democrats see is the failures or the shortcomings of the Donald Trump administration. So, uh, you know, Tia, you make a good point. They're driving all of us a little crazy, all of us journalists who are trying to uh, get a handle on what the schedule is going to look like, because you're right. They do keep adding people and we're surprised uh, when they do. Um, That's fine. That's their right. Uh, But for instance, Tia, to talk about the next person who's on the program tonight, uh, Stacey Abrams was not announced when the rest of the speaker schedule was put out late last week. And of course, she... And uh, and Lawrenceville Representative Sam Park are both going to be part of this very new idea uh, behind a keynote speech. There will be 18 what Democrats are calling young leaders who will share the spotlight. Um, we know Stacey Abrams well, obviously, here in Georgia. Sam Park, a little less well known. He's an he's got an interesting biography his grandparents were refugees of the Korean War. His, uh, he's the, the son of Korean immigrants. He decided to get involved with politics when his mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he said that it was the fact that she was able to get Medicaid and Medicare to pay, pay for her treatment that made him realize that he really needed to get into uh, politics. And Uh, He's the first openly gay man to be elected to the state legislature in the state of Georgia, as well as the first Asian-American Democrat elected to the General Assembly. He's got a he's got a lot in his background that's valuable to the Democrats as they uh, 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 hold up their uh, respect for diversity. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, intersectionality is one of those new buzzwords. Right. And. The Democratic Party um, trying to have a big tent, and we've talked about how that's not easy because you're bringing in people who don't always agree, but the Democratic Party in this virtual convention is really putting on display what intersectionality means and how Democrats have tried to embrace people from all walks of life. And and, and the virtual convention makes that accessible to people in a way that wouldn't normally be because you can attend caucus meetings that before this year, you had to be present in the convention center. Um, So I think Sam Park is is just one example of, of what that means because he's not just an Asian American, he's not just gay, he's not just a healthcare advocate. And other things, he he represents the intersection of all of these things, and and he can find a place for himself in the Democratic Party, just like someone who's you know a black veteran who also cares about disability rights, and and that's something that even as we see the Republican Party start to roll out some of their speakers and guests, the intersectionality, the big tent. The diversity so far is not there yet on the Republican side, and that's one of the reasons why the Republican Party is struggling in 2020. Sam, I mean, uh, Bob, you know her well. He's a member of your caucus. Yeah, this this is an incredibly exciting day for our caucus to um, have our our leader, Stacey Abrams, uh, highlighted and then have uh, our colleague and friend, Sam Park, highlighted tonight in speaking. I mean, incredible. It showcases uh, the incredible depth of talent on the Democratic side that's emerging. Uh, Sam is a forceful, uh, passionate spokesperson for, for Medicaid expansion, has been since he was a candidate and running in 2016. And, you know, I think that um, the presence of uh, both Stacy and Sam uh, on tonight, uh, along with, um, with Sally Yates, uh, says that Georgia is really seriously in play, uh, both for the presidential, for the Senate seats, uh, and for for the state house. And and there's a recognition in the programming at the DNC about the importance of Georgia. So we are over the moon excited at the opportunity to to showcase uh, uh, Stacy Stacy's talent and Sam's uh, talent to the country tonight. Sam Olins, you've mentioned a couple times already that you think the night will be dominated by the speech from Jill Biden. She's a fascinating uh, character. I first encountered her back in 1987 when I traveled with the Biden 
campaign. And, and she's a she's a really interesting uh, uh, person. Uh, <laughs> among other things, there's a wonderful story. You know, she's a community, as you know, I'm sure, Sam, she's a community college teacher, has been forever. There's a wonderful story about how one day she was with the president, Obama, with President Obama, uh, and she was grading papers while she was talking to him. And he said to her, what are you doing? She said, I'm grading papers. And he said something to the effect of, wow, like a real job. That's really interesting. She's also known that when they were trying to recruit her husband back in 2003 to run for president, she walked through a meeting of Democratic leaders in a two-piece bathing suit with no written in lipstick <laughs> across her uh, stomach. So anyhow, what are you looking forward to hearing from her tonight? Or why do you think she'll have impact tonight, Sam? So give me 30 seconds and then I'll get to that. Um, in 2008, I spoke at the Republican convention. So as everyone's talking yeah. about how it has a huge effect, they don't. They don't. It goes away 10 minutes later unless you personally know the people. The effect are the big hitters like Michelle Obama, Joe Biden. Look, I think Joe Biden and Jill Biden, their strength is they come across as ordinary people. They come across as your next door neighbor. You know, for Jill Biden to be a huge success tonight, all she needs to do is show compassion, sincerity, and a smile. And I don't say that sarcastically. I think that's what wins political races. It's not ego. It's not hubris. And I think the Bidens demonstrate that. Tia? I just want to bring back the point. Everyone today is talking about Kristen Urquiza. We don't know her, but we know what she said last night. So I just disagree. Now, everybody can't break through. I get what Sam's saying, and I agree. Everybody will not break through because especially in this condensed um, and short speeches and a lot of speeches in a, just a two-hour period, but unknown people, if their message resonates, it will break through. Uh, you're talking, of course, about the young woman who spoke last night about her father who died of COVID-19 and who was the one who made the remark that his only pre-existing condition was he trusted, supported uh, Donald Trump. It was a powerful uh, moment. Um, we are completely out of time for today's show. Uh, Representative Bob Trammell, thank you for joining us. I thank you also for maybe missing the beginning of the Georgia caucus breakfast to be with us today. Sam Olin's always, we always love having you with us. Tia Mitchell, thank you for joining us. Um, tomorrow we're going to be joined uh, by, among our regular panel, uh, Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow. She, of course, represents a state that is highly in play in the November election. So I'm really looking forward to what she has to say uh, when she joins us on Political Rewind. That's it for us today. I'm Bill Nygut. Until tomorrow, take care and please, please stay healthy. So long, everybody.